I'm Asher Leomond, and welcome to the Spoondrift Podcast. The word spoondrift defines that spray of water that a strong gust of wind blows from the tops of the waves. Here on the Spoondrift, I talk about the spoondrift from the ocean of ideas. There are really no bounds to what might be talked about. The goal is just to unearth new perspectives and inspire curiosity. You're about to listen to an archive episode from the Spoondrift pilot series called Conjuring Curiosity. Back on June 25th, 2020, this episode was available exclusively on Spinnaker Radio. In the show, I talked about how libraries have been affected by the pandemic, a mysterious object that was just discovered that is either a black hole or a neutron star, and also a bit about how we perceive the passage of time. Quite a variety of topics in there. I hope it does its job and conjures some curiosity. The, the COVID-19 pandemic has had an interesting effect on libraries. One, and, and some effects that you might not just inherently think about. As you would probably guess, libraries from across the nation and really across the world have, have had to close down their physical locations. So as to continue to serve their communities, many libraries switch their focus to their digital media and services. NPR published an intriguing article detailing some of the trends that such a transition has had on how people use the library. And here are some of the details discussed in the article. The first major change was that libraries began to offer ebooks as the only option for checkout. Now, a lot of libraries had done that before, but now that's, that's, that's the only option. You can't, you can't physically check out a book for safety reasons. A lot of libraries use services like Overdrive to manage the electronic libraries and the checkout process. The way that this all works is that the library patrons sign up with the ebook services like Overdrive, Hoopla, RB Digital, or Kobo, and associate themselves with their library. They can then check out books digitally using their library card. But here's the chilly part. With the digital checkouts come some insightful statistics because everything is electronic and on the record. Ebook lending in the U.S. has gone up nearly 50% since March 9th. Demand for children's books has more than doubled. Demand for adult fiction has gone up by a third, and demand for young adult fiction has gone up by more than 50%. Okay, so a lot of people are reading more, or or at least they intend to. But what are they reading? And guess what? (laughs) That has also been recorded. The NPR article says that the most popular subjects have pretty much stayed the same, with the top five categories being thrillers, romance, a category called women's sleuths, and just plain old literary fiction. A noticeable change, however, has been noticed in how popular certain subgenres are. For example, the self-help category has a number of subgenres like organization or time management communication. The article reports that categories enjoying surges in popularity include motivation and happiness. And I think the reasoning behind that has something to do with people staying at home as a result of COVID-19. Being isolated at home, many people may find that they're Support systems that they used to rely on at work or school or just community centers are no longer easily accessed because everything's closed. Or maybe the opposite is true. Maybe just being at home makes it more difficult to work because of all the distractions at home. So brushing up on ways to stay happy and motivated in the face of incredible challenge that we're experiencing right now, it, it, it makes sense. Libraries have also been affected in another and less obvious way than just not being able to lend books in the normal way. As community centers, libraries are also relied on by many for everything from Wi-Fi and printer access to restroom use. So closing completely could put certain populations at a severe disadvantage 
And libraries decided to not necessarily do that. For instance, in the world of COVID-19, where everything from business meetings to school classes are being held online, people without easy access to a computer or Wi-Fi would be at a loss. That's why libraries are so important. And people, I, I sometimes forget that. They offer a lot more than just access to books. Now, to make sure that those non-book-related services are still available for people, some libraries continue to operate at a limited capacity during the pandemic. For instance, libraries in Washington, D.C. have still allowed for people to print wirelessly from their copiers. In Seattle, the city library operates 325 Wi-Fi hotspots around the city. Now, those include little weatherproof enclosures throughout the city, so, and some of them are built in homeless encampments. So that way, people who may not have access to Wi-Fi can go to these hotspots and access the Internet, which is is, is really a, a phenomenal service. Other libraries have left their restrooms open so that people can have an easy way to wash their hands or use the toilet if they would not otherwise have easy access to such facilities. So libraries have, in my opinion, adopted really well to the change in situation. Now, what about reopening? When reopening happens, libraries are going to have a lot that they need to consider. One major change would be that they need a clear plan for how they will physically open the buildings and arrange all the furniture so that way social distancing is easily accommodated for and they can deal with the contact inherent to the process of borrowing books. Another major change is that they will also have to adapt to how the habits of their patrons will have changed. Take ebooks, for instance. Even once everyone can safely check out physical books again, the tendency to check out ebooks instead of physical books is probably not going to go away or even return to what it had been before. With a higher demand now for ebooks and a high likelihood that that will continue, many libraries will need to spend more money to grow or maintain their digital collections. Now, unfortunately, there's a big problem with that. Apparently, digital books are a lot more expensive than physical books. Reading the article, I, I, I was like, what? I was completely surprised by that. In fact, NPR reports that ebooks can sometimes be as much as three to four times more expensive than paper books. To, take, to, to make matters worse, there's often a limit to how many times a digital book can even be checked out. Once that limit is reached, the license has to be renewed. It's not like a physical book that you can keep on the shelf until it literally falls apart. This license is not that long. And that means that once the limit is reached, the license has to be renewed. And libraries are going to have to spend a whole lot more money on digital books than they would just paying for the actual physical copy of the same material. Now, with the greater expense of digital books, that is going to probably give a lot of libraries some trouble when it comes to managing their budget. Because if, if, if a library doesn't have a big budget, they're not going to be able to very well adjust their material to the change in the demand. If more people are wanting digital books, but they don't have the money to pay for them, the libraries are going to be less able to serve their communities. So that's, it's probably going to be an issue a lot of libraries are going to come to in the near future. I have to say, like I mentioned before, that the, the fact that ebooks are more expensive than physical books just blows my mind. I mean, a digital book is just a file. Now, I understand that it's digital, and that means that there's probably a bit of extra security that has to be put into place to prevent stealing or the illegal sale of the books. But come on. I mean, it's a it's it's a digital file. It's not physical in any way. It doesn't cost to make or distribute. It's copying the file. But I, I, 
like I said, the security around it, I imagine, brings up some some costs maintaining the, the copyright of the authors and that sort of thing. But there's got to be a way to bring the price down to where it is, it is at least close to, if not the same, as that of physical books. All right, yeah, I'm intrigued now, and some more research is warranted on this subject. To sum everything up, the libraries have really done a good job of adapting to the new reality. They've seen some interesting changes as a result of COVID-19, but they've met those challenges. Now, now things are not likely to go back to the way they were. There will be changes that occur after the whole pandemic ends, but that's okay. I think that's okay. And I think that that change could be for the better. A new discovery has astronomers scratching their heads. As reported by the BBC, a weird object that is either a neutron star that is too massive or a black hole that is not massive enough was detected last August by the international team working for the LIGO-Virgo Scientific Collaboration, a laboratory dedicated to the detection of gravity waves. With regard to what is ultimately discovered in this questionable event, either way, current theory as to how neutron stars and black holes work will need to be revisited. This particular gravitational wave event involved data reflecting the merger of a black hole of 23 solar masses and another object, our mystery body, of 2.6 solar masses. Now, the measure of 2.6 solar masses sits between the typical limit of neutron stars, which rests at just over 2 solar masses, and the lower limit of black holes at 5 solar masses. So the measure of 2.6 solar masses is kind of in this this in-between zone that they call the mass gap. Up to this point, nothing has been discovered that has had a mass in this little window before. If the discovery proves to be a black hole, a new theory will be able to be developed because as of right now, there is nothing out there that explains how such a light black hole might actually develop and come to exist. If it is a massive neutron star, then some new insight might be given as to how the inside of a neutron star will actually work. The current neutron star theory explains that a neutron star is being held together by a delicate balance of gravity and the nuclear strong force. Now, gravity is what makes it possible for such a large collection of matter to coalesce. The nuclear strong force, however, is what prevents the whole thing from collapsing in on itself and forming a black hole. If we find out that this mystery object is in fact a neutron star, we might be able to get more of an idea of how those forces inside of a neutron star actually work. It looks like that we have some interesting findings to look forward to no matter what is discovered. Let me tell you, some of these days just seem to drag by. I spend a lot of my time sitting at my desk, cranking through math problems or floundering through proofs that that make no sense. This past weekend, I spent almost all of Saturday and Sunday trying to understand the Taylor series and the exponential probability distribution, and also the uh, moment-generating functions. Now, at the end of the weekend, I had what I think is a solid document explaining those things in a way that satisfied most of my curiosities, but it just took so long. I watched a lot of YouTube videos that tried to explain what was happening. Most of them were not any good. A couple made more sense, and then a very select few were just phenomenal and just made things click. When I found those videos, I was just like, yes, this makes so much more sense. A wave of relief just like flooded through me. It's such a great feeling. The work would get easier after that for a little while and would just time would just speed up for a bit. It wasn't it wasn't it wasn't as 
difficult to keep working and concentrating because things were working. I was accomplishing my goal. Now, experiences like that have also served as a reminder to me that me not understanding something is not always a me problem. Sometimes it just takes a good teacher to connect all the right dots. That in-between time, though, the time spent watching the YouTube videos or reading the articles that made some incomplete attempt at a proof was just difficult to endure. I know that this weekend is not the only time that I've experienced such a change in how time seems to pass. Spending time out on my bike, for example, sometimes seems just like 15 minutes or so, but turns out it was actually closer to an hour. Or perhaps uh, a, a bit more obvious example would be sitting in the waiting room. Any waiting room. It just drags by. I can remember sitting in the DMV in a very dull waiting room to, to get my driver's license. It felt like we must have been sitting there for a lifetime. Not only was I extremely anxious, but the room was just kind of blah. There's was like probably gray paint on the wall. Some really bad office art hanging there. Maybe a fake plant in the corner. Uh, uncomfortable chairs that have some cushion, but just not enough to satisfy you. <laughs> The reality, though, was probably that we were just sitting there for like 20 minutes. But it sure felt like a whole lot longer. As it turns out, a study that has been conducted to better understand why that change in our perception of the passage of time changes. Philip Gable, an associate professor of psychology at the University of Delaware, just recently took a look at how people felt time passed during their experience with stay-at-home orders in response to COVID-19. What he ultimately found is that our emotional state plays a huge role in how we perceive time. Two influencing states that he identified were, one, approach motivation, and two, avoidance motivation. Now, the first one, approach motivation, is when you are excited about something and time just seems to pass more quickly. Gable explains that this is when you have a goal in mind, like finishing a puzzle, for example. As you work, time seems to pass more quickly, and what that does is allow you to keep working for a long period of time to accomplish that goal. Now that second one, avoidance motivation, is when you dread having to do something or, in, or are in a potentially harmful situation. An example that Gable gives for such a situation might be a car wreck. When such, a, such an event happens, the perception of time seems to slow down, allowing people to concentrate on avoiding harm as a result. And that's why people sometimes describe such traumatic events like everything happening in slow motion. The context surrounding Gable's recent study, as I mentioned, was trying to understand how the stay-at-home orders and the uncertainty that has come with COVID-19 may influence the perception of time and people. To conduct the study, he and his team created an app that would allow participants in the study to report their emotions, perceptions, and behaviors from month to month. Results showed that about half of the participants felt that time just dragged by. A quarter felt that time passed more quickly than normal, and another quarter said that they did not experience a change. Now, upon looking at the emotions that correlated with those experiences, it was found that those who were most nervous or stressed found that time passed slowly. Those who reported being happy were also found to have thought that time passed quickly. So it would seem that happiness and contentedness makes time pass quickly, while feelings like anxiety or fright might make it seem to pass more slowly. I would say that my experience pretty much aligns or aligns with that. Sitting in the DMV, as I mentioned before, I can remember feeling that potent mix of anxiety and excitement that comes with the idea of major change. A license for driving meant two things to me. First was driving by myself, which is 
definitely exciting. The other thing, however, was more responsibility. Being able to drive on the roads means that I am responsible not only for my own safety, but also for the safety of others who are on the road or even in the car with me. And that was a lot different than the, than the responsibility that I had before. So that was it was a big deal. And my slow perception of time during that wait aligns with the correlated emotional state identified by Gable. I was anxious and excited, but by no means happy <laughs> or content in its purest form. So yeah, things just kind of went slowly. As with the time going more quickly, that aligns with when I understood the math concepts this weekend. After working on that problem for so long, it was so relieving to find an explanation that made everything make sense. And I was so happy. And at that point, I had a very clear goal in mind. And I was taking notes with a, a clear and defined direction. So time seemed to go faster. And, and that all of that lines up with Gable's findings. Gable closed his article with a bit of advice. If if someone is finding that the days are really passing by slowly, he points out that exercising, engaging in a hobby, and establishing a routine can all help to combat that. And sounds like pretty sound advice to me. On the subject of music, there are some releases that I am hopeful for this week. As always, I must caution you with this information because music release dates are in a constant state of flux right now with all that's going on. So while the latest, as of the recording of this podcast, is that the following albums will be coming out this week, that might not actually be the case. Anyway, the three albums of interest that are slated to come out on Friday, June 26th, are as follows. Louis the Child, with the album Here For Now, Hyam, with the album Woman in Music Part 3, and Neon Trees with the album I Can Feel You Forgetting Me. My music picks this week are IBTFY by Sick K, featuring PH1, and by the acronym IBTFY, that stands for I'll Be There For You. Um, the next one is The Song Love, comma, Ing by Ben. On a rather amusing note, Chromio released a very fun EP a couple of weeks ago called Quarantine Casanova. It was produced entirely during quarantine, and <laughs> you can definitely tell by the lyrics, which I should say are quite clever and completely relatable. For example, the first song on the EP is called Clorox Wipe. <laughs> really bizarre name if you're just coming into this without any context, but remember, it's a quarantine album. As you may be able to guess, the song is about Clorox Wipes. The clever bit, though, is that the song is about how if the singers were to reincarnate, they would want to do so as a Clorox wipe, because then they would be needed by people. <laughs> so the song is really just a commentary on loneliness during stay-at-home orders using a very relevant analogy. Boasting other song titles like Six Feet Away, Stay in Bed and Do Nothing, Cabin Fever, and Ronan Got Me Stressed Out, Chromeo did a really good job at talking about the trials of quarantine in a relatable and oftentimes amusing way. They even talk about everyday things like Zoom, Wi-Fi, and recipes found online. All things that have kind of become everyday things in the COVID-19 world. And I think it's just so neat when artists mention real things like that in their songs without having everything shrouded in metaphor or vague terminology. They just use the things that we have to talk about in everyday life. And it, it, it's, it's, it's fun. It's fun when they do that. Also in books, sometimes you'll see a reference to a product or an item that you use 
And you're like, hey, I know that brand or I know that object. It, it I don't know. I guess it kind of adds a, a level of realism to the songs and books that isn't always there. Yeah, I, it, it's fine. I like that. Thanks for listening to this archive episode from the Spoondrift pilot series, Conjuring Curiosity. If you want to listen to the music that I talked about, you can check out my Spotify profile, the Spoondrift Podcast, and listen to the Spoondrift Archive 3 playlist. For more episodes of the Spoondrift, you can visit Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Spinnaker Radio's home on the web, radio.unfspinnaker.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to keep up to date on everything to do with the Spoondrift, you can follow me on Twitter at SpoondriftPod. That's at SpoondriftPod. Or on Instagram at SpoondriftPodcast. Keep thinking, and don't forget to check out this week's episode, which is coming out on Thursday. Thursday.